Welcome to the Power Hour. I'm Adrienne Herbert, wellness coach, international speaker and author. Each week I speak to a variety of guests from business founders to Olympic athletes, leading coaches, change makers and innovators to find out their daily habits, their rules to live by and what motivates them to get up out of bed each day. Personally, I am on a mission to encourage, motivate and inspire. So I hope that the Power Hour will help you to achieve your personal and professional goals. Welcome back to the Power Hour podcast and to the first episode of a brand new series. It is September and September is without a doubt my favorite month not just because it's my birthday, but I just love the energy in September, the last days of summer, back to school, back to work. And of course, the Power Hour podcast is back. This series, we have got an incredible lineup and I'm so thrilled to be joined today by Benjamin Hardy. Benjamin is an organizational psychologist, an international bestseller, and his TED Talks have been viewed by almost 2 million people online. Ben, welcome to the Power Hour podcast. Where are you joining us from today? I am in Orlando, Florida. Windermere, to be specific. (laughs) Right. So it's morning for you. It's evening for me. I am super happy that we've been able to connect and align a time schedule in our diaries to do this episode and to have this conversation. I've been looking forward to it throughout the whole of August. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So it's 1.13 p.m. What is it? 6.13 p.m. there? Yes, 6.13 p.m. So I've actually um, told my son he must not make a sound because he is actually here. Um, He's not at school. So he's like, you know, don't make any noise. Um, But I have so many things to talk to you about. But today we are going to be exploring the concept of your future self and not only the concept, but really the science behind how we can radically change our lives simply by getting intentional about creating, imagining and even scenario planning for the future. So first up, could you tell us, could you tell the listeners, what is your future self? Absolutely. Um, It's kind of interesting just listening to you. I think it would be impossible to intentionally change your life without knowing who your future self is. Um, That is actually like the definition of intentional is to be purposeful. And so, yeah, this is really interesting. It was interesting to me when I first came across the research. I didn't even know that this body of research existed until about two and a half or three years ago, I was writing a book called Personality Isn't Permanent. And then all of a sudden, I just fell fell onto all this research. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is it. And interestingly, and for the listeners, if you haven't heard a lot about this idea, you will now start seeing it everywhere because it's now becoming very mainstream. Uh, And I kind of saw that that was the case. But just as a quick, a quick like background, the field of psychology as a whole most of the theories for for really over 100 years for from the late 1800s to the late 1900s really focused on past on past self and believed that as people we were the byproduct of our past so like freud for example freud believed that who a person is mostly is the byproduct of their early childhood experiences um whereas there's just so much new research in positive psychology and even neuroscience that's kind of flipping the script on that. And it's showing that as as human beings, it's actually the future that we're most committed to that's driving our life. Um, and by most committed, it's it's the things that we're, we're committed to, we're striving for, um, that we want. And and so our future self is really, there's there's a few different ways to look at it. One is the, the, the default future that you've already 
assigned yourself to have. And for most people, that default future isn't much different than their current life. Actually, most uh, actually the research shows that most people they're not very imaginative about who their future self is. And they also believe that for the most part, even 10 or more years into the future, their future self, the person they will become, most people believe that their future self is very similar to their current self. Mm. And that's a a rough idea because it's basically a fixed mindset. Whereas the research actually shows your future self is going to be really different. Even if you're not trying to change a lot, your future self is going to be way different than you expect. But you can then start to really start to think about your future self and you can ask me whatever questions you want, but it becomes really important to get to know your future self, to start investing in your future self, become friends with your future self, because the more connected and committed you get to your future self, the bigger the jumps you can make in your life right now. This, honestly, this whole topic is fascinating to me as somebody who is very focused on the future. So with the work that I do, my personal life, you know, I'm someone who's always, I'm less interested in the past and more interested in the future. Hence, you know, I work with technology companies, startups, I was director of innovation. I'm always challenging people to think about change in a positive way and to embrace the inevitable change. So I think before we even go into all of my questions, I want to really start with people's initial reactions. So depending, you know, whoever's listening to this right now, they may be feeling a certain way. So, you know, if you're someone like me, uh, as I said, kind of obsessed with future thinking, behavior change, I find it exciting to imagine and then to reimagine and reimagine again, different futures for myself and different scenarios for the, the world that we live in. But I know that a lot of people don't enjoy that kind of thing. So some people, for example, they maybe really resist the idea of change. As you said, they may say, well, you know, in five years time, I'm just going to be doing what I'm doing now. Maybe I like my life how it is. I don't really want it to change. You know, I'm not striving to be a different person. I'm just quite happy and content with my life. And I hope that it stays the same. Other people have sometimes quite a visceral reaction where they might roll their eyes and say, oh, you know, hypothetical scenarios. What's the point in thinking about things? Just live for today, you know, just focus on right now because none of those things might happen. But it's very interesting when you sit around with a group of people how each person's reaction can be quite different so before yeah we dive into all my questions about the future self and how it can how it can help us what's going on there with those different reactions why do some people love this stuff and other people kind of uh, really don't enjoy thinking too far into the future ah that's a really good question i don't know uh like the, the 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 easy answer is i don't know But what I will say to those who may have more negative reactions or just skeptical reactions, um, let me just provide just two quick data points or scenarios. One is, and this is one thing that uh, Daniel Gilbert does at Harvard. He's, He's one of the leading researchers on this subject. He actually gave a main stage TED Talk in 2014 called The Psychology of Your Future Self. So he spent a lot of time studying this, Harvard psychologist. One of the big things he does to get people thinking differently about their future self is he asks them to think about their past self, call it 10 years from now. If you were to actually look at who your past self was and what your past self was like, even 10 years ago, if you actually really began to dig into it, you'd realize how radically different the person you are today is from who you were 10 years ago. Like, Mm. I'm not talking about things just like the friends you had or the goals you had, maybe the priorities, the habits. I'm literally talking about how you see the world, how you navigate the world. Your entire mental model and personality is actually different. There may be some things that are still similar, 
but you're actually a very different person in a very different situation with very different priorities, focus, goals, like your whole life is actually different. And you could probably do that even for a year or two years ago. I actually did an, I actually did an exercise like literally in my car, in my journal, not long ago where I wrote down, I, I, I said, what are all of the things in my life that are different than they were 12 months ago? Um, mm. And I just started listing them out. One is like the house I'm in right now. This is an office that I have. I didn't have this house 12 months ago. Uh, what else? Um, you know, there's, there's so many other things that are different. Like my, my three-year-old girls now go to school, whereas last year they weren't in school. Uh, our 10-year-old boy, we, he's now back in school. Um, we, we homeschool our older three kids, but the 10-year-old wanted to go back. Um, I've published two books, you know, like The Gap and The Gain and Future Self. Those, did, those were not published. Like my financial situation's a little different. Like I, I got down to the nitty gritty and I started writing down, what are all of the ways my life is actually different? Um, I'm working on a book that I wasn't working on. Like, um, but there's other things that are different as well, like certain health things. And so, and with my kids and with my life, uh, and so it's it's interesting if you do something like that to see even on a t- one year time frame how different your life is over one year. So that's just one thing is realizing how much you, your life is already changing. And so in psychology they call it the end of history illusion to assume that things are going to stop changing from here. In a year from now, if I was talking to you and we did this same exercise, what are all the things that are different? There'd be a lot different to your future self in one year from now than your life right now. Um, so that's one important thing. Here's the second one, which is actually really interesting and kind of proves the point. This this is the point that as people were all very driven by the view that we have of the future. So whatever view you hold most potently, most powerfully, most committedly that you most believe about the future, that's the thing, that's, that is what's driving your life right now. So as an example, I know lots of people who believe, who have kind of doomsday beliefs about the future, Mm -hmm. like, you know, the economy is going to crash and all these things. And so because they hold those beliefs, those beliefs drive their actions and attitudes in the present. So for example, they may be like, I have friends who have literally moved out to Texas out in the middle of nowhere, bought ranches and now are like total preppers. Like they like are off the grid, like have 20 year food supplies and stuff. The, all of those actions are based on their view of the future. Right. Mm. And so as a person, everything you're doing right now is based on the future you most believe and the future that you've most committed yourself to. And so you may have a pessimistic view of the future, and that's obviously going to be bad for your motivation and and, and other things. You may have a really optimistic and excited or hopeful view of the future. And so the, the view you have of the future is the driver of who you are today. And so this is why it becomes really important to start expanding that view and and thinking about different views so that, because otherwise you really won't change who you're being in the present. Yes. And also if you're not going to change and you're not intentional, the time is going to pass anyway. And that is something that I'm going to stick a pin in and come back to, because firstly, I love what you said about this idea of, okay, look at the last 10 years and look at the things that have changed. And what came into my mind, because I love people and I, you know, that's probably one of my favorite thing in the world is people and relationship building. And I actually thought when you said that, all the people that I've met in the last 10 years, even some people that I've met recently in the last 12 months who I'd never met then, they weren't a part of my life and now they're a big part of my life. And it makes me excited to think, okay, what about the people I'm going to meet in the next 10 years that I've never even met yet? And I often say to people, you know, when I'm trying to encourage them, especially as as I feel like maybe it's just for women, I don't want to just... 
I don't want to exclude men from this, but often in my experience as women age, when they're celebrating maybe like a 40th birthday or a 50th birthday, and they might be like, oh, I'm getting older and they think it's a you know bad thing. And I'll always say to them, look, you, the rest of your days are still maybe the best days that you have, you know, going to do things you've never done. You're going to uh, meet people you've never met. And I often encourage people to think about some firsts. So what are some things you have never done and you're going to do for the first time? And it's just so exciting, as you said, if you flip that mindset around and you choose to look at the future with optimism, then regardless of whether you're 20, 40, 60, whatever age, you can really get excited about your future, what is possible for yourself and what's possible for your life. I agree. And one thing that excites me about knowing that my future self is a totally different person from who I am today, it allows you to really kind of think creatively. It also allows you to be a lot more uh, patient and compassionate with your current self. Like, so the idea of a fixed mindset is the idea that you're trying to prove yourself, trying to prove that you, you know what you're doing. You're not, you, you don't want to fail. You know, you don't want to get things wrong because you've got a fixed mindset. You, you've, you've overly defined things. And, and so I love the quote from Brene Brown. She said, you're either trying to get it right, or you're trying to be right. And if you're trying mm -hmm. to be right, that's basically a, a fixed mindset where you're trying to prove that you've already got it all figured out. But when you're trying to get it right, and when you know that your future self is really different, what that does is it lets your current self off the hook a little bit. You don't have to have all the answers right now. Like I don't need to give a power, like I don't need to give the most perfect answers to your questions because like my current self is temporary. Like if you ask me that question a week from now, I might get, I might have a lot better information. So mm -hmm. like it allows you to be a lot more flexible, compassionate with your current self and allow you to like make mistakes, be more iterative, actually be more interested in learning. Um, but it also opens you up to thinking a lot more creatively. So like Albert Einstein said, imagination is more important than knowledge. So it's like, if I know my future self can be almost like insane so different that it's not even comparable to my current self like what is what is possible uh like my future self doesn't speak any other foreign languages but like my future self could be speaking three i'm not saying i'm going to choose that or invest in that direction but it allows you to be a lot more creative and open to what's possible yes absolutely and if someone listening is now thinking okay this is exciting and i want to start thinking about my future and my future self where should we begin do we need to start off by thinking about you know really tangible things like where do i live and who do i live with you know do i have children do i have a dog you know what what things are in my life or do we need to think maybe just more conceptually and be a bit more vague so i don't know i want to be traveling more i want to be leading a group of people in, in an organization or, you know, how granular should we go and where should we start? So I think that it's a skill set. It's like building a muscle. If you're, if you've never done this before, you're probably going to start more vaguely, more broadly, but as you get very good at this skill set, you develop what psychologists call vividness, where it does get very granular and you can get a lot more detailed and you can build a lot more context. And then you can start being a lot more strategic because now you've got a clear vision. But just as a, let me like, so there are very clear first steps, but let me just lay this out from the beginning. There's a lot of research by a guy named Hal Hirschfeld. Uh, I lay a lot of it out in the book, but He's been a psychologist at UCLA studying the future self concept for decades. I, I like I owe a lot of my insight to him. He's got really interesting ideas. But his research all hits a lot of hard points 
And like, it's very, there's very direct correlations. If you're not connected to your long-term future self, there's a lot of downsides to not, to not being connected to your future self and not caring about your future self and not worrying about your future self. Um, like what the research shows is if you're not clear, connected to your future self, you're not going to make, you're, you're going to set yourself up for disaster, call it financially in your health. Like we see it, we see like, at least here in America, and I'm sure it's similar in, in the UK and in Europe, like a lot of, actually they show that like the, the age that people start thinking about retirement, at least in the U S is like age 27. And, and like usually retirement's around 65. So like, that's mm. like almost, that's a lot of, a lot of years, right? That's like almost four decades, but even with four decades to actually set themselves up, their future self up, most really don't like they, most people in America don't set themselves up very well for that. And Hal Hirschfield's research shows that like the, one of the obvious reasons is because they never actually really started thinking about their future self and actually setting that up. So like, just, just to put it really simply, and then I'll start into some of the kind of fundamental steps. And then we can go, you know, into like the higher level steps if you want. But basically, if you get really connected to your future self to the point where you develop a really great friendship with your future self. Um, by friendship, what I mean is, is if someone's really your friend, if you really care about someone, then it doesn't bother you to go out of your way for that person. Like if a really good friend of mine, like, you know, got a flat tire or something like that, and like I needed to go and help them, like I'd be all right with it because I love that person. If it was some stranger or someone I didn't like, I don't know if I'd really want to go out of my way. You know what I mean? And so like that's mm -hmm. a, a good indicator of like, if your future self is not really, if you don't have a great relationship with your future self, if you don't, if you don't have a connection with them, if you're not friends with them to some degree, you're probably not going to go out of your way for them right now. So like how Hirschfield's research shows, and there's, there's even a Ted talk on the subject called the battle between your present and your future self. Like the present self usually wins and short-term mm -hmm. gratifications, you know, short-term dopamine hits, whether it's just scrolling on social media, eating bad food, like those things will win if you're not connected to your future self. Yeah. I just want to jump in there. Go ahead. Please do. Please honestly, do. Please. As, yeah. I mean, as someone who's, you know, worked in the fitness and wellbeing industry for over a decade and a lot of the listeners of this show will know, you know, a lot of runners listen to the show and a lot of people that are, you know, interested in fitness and health and wellbeing. And I feel like this is such a topical thing because when you talk about, you know, having that I guess, awareness, attachment, you know, consideration for your future self. It is really interesting what you described then around retirement and, you know, maybe investing for the future. You know, it sounds pretty boring in your 20s. It's the same when it comes to our physical bodies. So if I said to a 25 year old, OK, you know, I really think it's important for you to do these kind of exercises now to prevent your posture and back pain in your 60s. Like nobody cares. Or, you know, this is going to re uh, reduce your risk of having a heart attack, having a stroke, having diabetes, uh, being able to run around the park with your grandchildren or, you know, go swimming. When you're in your 20s, you're like, yeah, okay, whatever. Like nobody cares about their back pain when they're 60. But it is funny how I, even in the health and fitness industry, you see this kind of change. And for whatever reason, sometimes, sadly, it's due to ill health or pain that, that people change that mindset. But sometimes it's just an awareness where people go, actually, yeah, when I'm 40 or 50 or 60 or 70, I still want to be able to run 10K or I still want to be able to, yeah, take my kids or my grandkids and go for a bike ride. And it's it, whenever that change happens for whatever reason, everything else shifts. So as you said, the motivation to 
go to the gym or the motivation to go for that walk every day or change the foods that you eat or go to bed early. All these health habits that we kind of put off or we think aren't going to be important because in the moment today, ah, it doesn't make much difference if you, you know, do a run, don't do a run. But in the long term, like you said, having that goal for the future, that's why I sign up to endurance events. That's literally the reason I put races in my calendar is because I know that, okay, in 12 weeks, we're going to be running that race. I can't really skip my run today. But if I don't have those future goals, even short-term goals, like, like a half marathon, then, okay, maybe I can run tomorrow. So yeah, I think for a lot of people listening to that, if you don't have the, yeah, the attachment, the idea, the kind of, I love the word vividness, a real vivid idea for the future, then of course those day-to-day decisions, day-to-day habits are going to be a lot harder to make. Yeah. I mean, you said so many interesting and amazing things. So there's a quote that comes to mind. One is, uh, it comes from Jeff Olson. I think he wrote The Slight Edge. I could be wrong. But anyways, the quote's from Jeff Olson. It says, time will be your friend or your enemy. It will promote you or expose you. And I think that's kind of what we're talking about here is like, if you start to get intentional and thoughtful about your future self, and then you start actually using that goal or that vision to start determining what you do here and now. So like, in kind of the time management world, or even I'm thinking like Stephen Covey, like there's, there's a conversation of the difference between important versus urgent. Right. And Mm. I think of like my future self's what is important. My daily schedule is what's urgent. And hopefully the two can start to combine where your daily schedule starts to be more of you doing the big important things. Like as an example, you having that half marathon and using that as like a forcing function to training today, you have a clear goal. And so like, of course you want to set yourself up to succeed in that goal. And you kind of set the target or signed up for the race in a lot of ways to kind of determine or, or, or like design how you're going to train now. Um, and so, yeah, your life starts to get really enjoyable when you're doing the things you want to, not the things you feel like you have to. And this is one of the reasons why I love like all of this stuff on future self is because you can start to think like, who do I want? What, how do I want, how do I want my life to be like, Mm. and then you can start designing your life, your schedule around building towards that. Um, one of my favorite quotes actually comes from Dan Sullivan. He says that the only way to make your present better is by making your future bigger. And it, it, it goes straight to the idea that your present is in direct alignment with the future you most see for yourself. Uh, kind of like I love you. That. I love that. Make it bigger. I yeah. love that. Yeah. I mean, well, that's because if it's bigger, then your days are going to be spent going through a, a much more intense growth curve, which means you're going to probably be learning a lot more. I call it failing as your future self. You know, there's a lot of gnarliness in, in, you know, committing to something big and, and, and courageously attempting and failing and learning like those kind of days are a lot deeper experientially than the days that where you're just repeating the past and you're not really, it's kind of like autopilot. You're not really Mm -hmm. learning or, or exposing yourself or like transforming your thinking. Um, one other just really quick thought. And then it's just with you scheduling that race. This is the idea of having clear milestones up ahead. There's actually a lot of research on this. And I, I did talk about it in the book, but what the researchers did was, is they took people out in the woods. Um, And they asked, they just asked random people and they put a GPS device like on their shoe, like a tracker. And they took people out to the woods and they just told the people walk in a straight line for as long as you can. 
like for like <laughs> 10 minutes. And these pe- and, and so they would take people out and they would just say that. Those were the only instructions was walk straight forward for as long as you can. Hmm. And then after like the 10 minutes or whatever, they'd get together with the researchers and the researchers would ask them some questions like, you know, was that hard? Did you walk straight? You know, how did it go? And the people were like, oh yeah, like they were completely confident that they had walked in a perfectly straight line. And what they, what the researchers would then do is they would show them on the computer the GPS of the tracking of their actual steps. And what the people had done was is they thought they were walking straight, but they were literally walking in circles, like tight circles, like really. And, and, and they would test the same people twice. And like sometimes they were circles to the left, sometimes they were circles to the right. But the main kind of takeaway from the study was if if a person and, and then like they did follow-ups where they would give people like a milestone up, uh, up ahead, you know what I mean? But if a person does mm. not have a clear indication of where straight is, they'll think they're going straight when in reality they're going in circles. And it's kind of an interesting mm. analogy because if you don't have clear milestones up ahead, you're probably going in circles, meaning you're just like repeating yourself. Uh, and you're not actually making any progress. And so like, I like the idea of having a race because like now you have a clear milestone that you can work towards. If you don't have clear milestones up ahead, like for me, if I don't have like a goal where it's like write the next book or finish the next chapter, if I don't have a milestone up ahead, I think I'm going straight, but in reality, I'm going in circles. So I, I just think yes. it's important to utilize that. Yes, I'm totally the same, especially when it comes to the writing. If I do, I said this to my editor recently because we are uh, yeah, working and thinking about another book. And I basically said to her, I have to have hard deadlines. Almost like, you know, if I have a hard deadline, I won't miss it. But if someone says to me, oh, you know, have a think about it, send some stuff over, then it will never happen. I have to have hard deadlines. And so looping back to when we said about okay where should people start what can they do i'm sure they've got so many ideas already from from everything you've said but as an actual i guess practical takeaway would you suggest for somebody to yeah maybe just go on a walk and think about the future self or would you say okay after reading the book get a pen and paper and start writing down um you know bullet points should people write something to to their future self that they can look back on in maybe 12 months and schedule a calendar what what could we do today after we finish listening to this to get in touch and start to think about that future self so there are like beginner principles and then there are expert principles <laughs> and so like I'll, I'll start with the beginner ones take some time to actually think about it like literally like as you were saying it could be on the walk like again this is a, a muscle to be built like again a lot of the research shows that one of the reasons people don't think their future self is going to be much different is because they just genuinely can't imagine it like they, they don't have imagination skills and so you mm. can just start to like as a really basic concept Think of, honestly, just give yourself a date. Like, you know, I, I think in terms of various, like, ran, like various points in the future. So like, I have an eight-year-old son. I know that he's going to be 18 in eight years, which is also going to be in 2030. So if I was just sitting around and thinking- Sorry, in 10 years. In 10 years, he's going to be 18. No, he's, he's, I'm sorry. He's 10 years old now. I said Ah, uh, okay. He's 10 years old. And so in eight years, he'll be 18. And so it's 2022. So eight years, that's 2030. So like as a basic, I could just think about what does my life actually look like in 2030? So let's start with my age. I'm 34 years old. Okay, so in 2030, I'm going to be 42. I'm going to have, you know, that 10-year-old is actually my middle child. So he's going to be 18. His older sister is going to be 
21. And my oldest wow. son, who's now 15, in eight years, he's going to be 23. So I'm going to have a 23-year-old. And so like, <laughs> this is just basic, like actually putting it on paper and starting to think about your future self a little bit and starting to think like, what else does my life look like? Like, So this is just the beginning, like is where you start to actually think about your future self. What Hal Hirschfield talks about is, is like you want to start to get connected to your longer term future self. I'm saying longer term because when you get really strategic, you obviously are going to start to be a lot more short term, probably like no more than a three year time window for setting like massive goals, but to just start to get connected. And, and really what Hal wants you to do is he wants you to start to have empathy for your future self, just like you'd have empathy for another person, empathy for a friend. If you have empathy for another person, you realize that they're coming from different place than you are. They've got different perspectives. They care about different things. And so if I've got some empathy for my eight-year-out future self, he's 42 years old, he's got a 23-year-old, he's got like these older kids, and I can start to like think like, what does that guy care about? Like, where does he want to be with those kids? Like, what else is going on with that guy? Like, this is just like basic. I'm just starting to think about my future self and starting to wonder who he is or who he could be. And like, that's a really good starting point. Um, Mm. In order to like start to get more vivid, you know, I could could obviously start to like literally pull out the pen and the pad, which is where stuff starts getting real. And I could write down 2030. Here's my age. Here's how old my kids are. Where do I really want things to be? Like, and and I think that it's best to kind of define your life out in priorities. Um, Mm -hmm. I love the quote from Jim Collins. You know, if you have more than three priorities, you have none. And and so it's like, what are the three most important things I could focus on right now that would set up my future self for success? Like, what are the areas that I really want to? like to control to a lot of degree and like be in a good place in eight years. So like, those are some starting points. And then obviously you'd really want to like start to clarify, like, what do I want to look like? Where do I want to be? Like, it could be your three priorities might be different than mine. You know, like mine might be in terms of like writing books or working with my, being, spending time with my kids or where I'm going to live. But you really want to start to like, start to build it out from there. I think one thing that comes to mind for a lot of people when I speak to them about future self and whether it's 10 years, 20 years is money. And often people will say, you know, again, we could do a whole, probably a whole other hour talking about, yeah, our relationship and our idea around money for for today and the lifestyle that we want to have. And I guess some of the trade-offs that some people are willing to make for a future fund or pension or whatever. So I don't know if you're familiar, you're probably familiar with the term FIRE, the Financial Independence Retire Early. 
Yeah, so I feel like a a lot of people online are, you know, especially I think post-pandemic, they're really kind of looking at this fire, which for the listeners, if you don't know, is financial independence, retire early. And of course, the internet, we love extremes. So there's like extreme people who are kind of saying, right, you know, if you want to retire by the age of 30, this is how much you need to save and this is how you can do it. And you can essentially live super frugal, never spend any money, never eat out, never do anything, but then you can retire. Whereas there's other people suggesting, okay, maybe you want to retire when you are 50. And it actually, I listened to a podcast recently where they did like a really simple breakdown. And so I kind of applied it to myself. I'm going to be 35 very soon. And it kind of said, okay, if, if when you're 55, so for me, that's 20 years, if you needed X amount of money, how much would you need to save per year? And so you look at a number and let's just say you picked 20,000 pounds a year. If you saved 20,000 pounds a year, if I did that for the next 20 years, I would have 400,000 pounds. And then if you add things like, I don't know, interest, you allow for inflation, it's probably going to be more likely to be 460,000 pounds. Now, of course, I'm not saying that that is possible for everyone. And, you know, some people might say, well, like they can only afford to save 5,000 a year, whatever the number is, it basically says that, you know, if you look at that question and it's not about, okay, can I afford it or can I not afford it or what compromises or trade-offs would I be willing to make now, whether it's, you know, yeah, maybe driving a different car or maybe, I don't know, spending less on holidays or whatever the thing is that you choose to save on and then maybe you splurge on something else. It's essentially saying when you get to that age, so fast forward 20 years, would you rather have that money or not have that money? And I know that sounds so obvious because of course people would be like, yeah, of course I would rather have the money. But then you have to be real about those trade-offs and say, well, which trade-offs are you willing to make? So I think money is probably one that, again, very complex, is very nuanced. But do you feel like when you, in the work that you've done in all the research and when you talk to people about this future self, does money come up? How do people think about their financial future um, when they're making decisions today? I think money is one of the biggest ones, you know, and I think what's important to realize is that like the whole concept of compound interest is that like compound interest isn't just things like when you put money away, like let's just say I'm investing, you know, $5,000 a year or whatever, like that money grows in other ways, but compound interest is also in your ability to do things. So like, let's say that my... Right now, I'm making a certain amount of money and I can only invest like a small amount. If you start committing to that and start like actually learning how to get better at it, and you can get really good where it's like, maybe this is how much you're investing now, like using yours as an example, 20,000 a year. But if you got really good at this, in three years, you might be able to be investing 60,000. In five years, you might be investing like 130,000. If you got really good at this, your future self is going to be able to do things you can't now do, uh, similar to like that you can do things your past self couldn't do. And so if you if you start actually doing it, you start to get really good at it. And so, um, yeah, certainly money is one of the biggest areas. I think that kind of if you were to look at like the big areas that people think about, they think about their health, their money, and their relationships. Like those are like the big ones and also just like kind of quality of life, lifestyle. Like what is what is the day-to-day life of your future self? Yeah, I think post-pandemic, another thing that's, you know, universal is definitely this idea of people retraining, changing careers, leaving their jobs, you know, re-evaluating their whole work situation and whether they're able to work remotely and go into the office. And so something, a question I had recently actually on social media, I was doing a Q&A and somebody said to me, okay, I 
want to retrain, I want to do something new, but it's going to take three, maybe four years to do so. And so she was kind of saying, you know, I'm, I think she said she was late thirties and she was like, you know, if I do that, I'm going to be nearly 40 and then I'll be starting with this qualification. But, you know, it kind of feels like a little bit too late. And so she kind of said, what advice would you have? Or, or, you know, how could she motivate herself to make that change? And I, again, as a similar to, to this question was thinking, well, the time is going to pass whether you retrain or not. So <laughs> would you rather be, you know, would you rather be yeah, turning 40 and you've invested because, you know, using that word again, not just investing money, but invested your time to study and get that degree? Or would you rather get to 40 and you haven't done the degree and you're still doing the job you're doing now? And suddenly she was like, oh, wow, like, of course I want to do it. But when people think about investing time into something that's, you know, going to pay off later, there is often this challenge of like, is it going to be worth it? Am I going to regret it? You know, four years is a long time. And I think just the idea of starting something, especially in the world now when, you know, we get things so quickly, the idea of four years to some people feels like an eternity. I mean, as you said, you have children. I have a young son. If I said to him, start doing this now. And in four years, you're going to see the benefit. He'd just be like, no way. So yeah. How can people, I guess, start to think about that? If they're, if they're starting something from scratch, let's say they're starting their savings today, or they're going to retrain. How can they flip that script around of thinking, oh, you know, for your four years or even say 10 years is just too long to get committed to. One thing that's very interesting, and I'm sure you can relate, is that the 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 better you get at this as a skill, um, the the longer out you think. And so, like all of a sudden, you know, yeah, maybe in the beginning, doing something that's going to pay off in six months maybe feels like, whoa, that's too long, you know. <laughs> but over time, your vision really starts to go further and further out, where it's like, yeah, I'm cool committing to this for the next 20 years. You know what I mean? Like. Um, so like you do get better at it. Uh, there's also like nowadays a lot of talk on what's called long-term ism. So like it's, it's, it's a skill. And like, I think that the people who I know who are really good at, at like having a vision and knowing who they are and also knowing who they want to be, like they start really thinking in terms of like, even like 25 year timeframes and like, you know, but like to get started, I think one thing that's really important in listening to some of your examples like the person who's thinking about themselves at age 40 and they're like, oh, do I really want to do this like for eight years or something like that? Or like even committing to something that might take three or four or five years. And it's like, man, is it really worth it? One thing that really helps me is not, not worrying about what anyone else is doing. Often it's in the comparisons with others that you start to worry. Oh, it's like, well, really at age 40, like maybe I, that whole, if you ever feel like you're behind, it's because you're comparing yourself to externals. Like no one is playing the same game as you. No one has the same future self as you. And so I think one big important thing that helps me is realizing I have zero external competition. I'm not competing with anyone. No one has my same goals. No one has my mm -hmm. same purpose. So like I have zero competition. Like I'm not worried about your future self and me trying to outdo you and you outdoing me um, or trying to get somewhere before other people like that's that gets you going down the wrong goals that gets you mm -hmm. kind of you know as they would say you're climbing the ladder and eventually you realize it's leaning against the wrong wall so like mm -hmm. I think a big you know like a big release is to realize look 
you get to choose your own future self and you get to decide how far you're going to take that. And it has nothing to do with anyone else except for those who are coming along for the ride, you know, like your kid, for example, or like some close friends, but even a lot of those people will phase in and out because Mm. your futures will no longer kind of be going in the same direction. That comparison trap that you're describing, I think is so, so important. And we all are guilty of doing it. I certainly know that I am. And I think to be honest, the modern world, especially media, it just perpetuates it because we have this, we have this real, you know, we idolize youth and we talk about, you know, 30 under 30. And and as you said, if someone says, okay, at 45, I'm going to start a business or they're going to publish their first book. Or as you said, it doesn't matter because you're not comparing yourself to the next author who may be 25. It's actually that idea that, yeah, your goals, your life, your timeline, like whatever it is, is uniquely yours. And I think it's so difficult, you know, it's easy to say, but definitely hard to do. And I think I would be such a hypocrite if I said, oh yeah, you know, I never compare myself. It's like you look left and right. And suddenly I feel like that's also what gives people this this real sense of urgency. I feel that amongst my peers, you know, I have a lot of high, high achieving peers and they have this sense of urgency that as soon as they do something, you know, one book's published or, you know, they've got one degree or they've, yeah, completed an endurance triathlon and they got the podium, the straight away, the question people ask, they say, oh, congratulations, what are you doing next? And it's straight away, we all, I think, have this urgency now to achieve and to, uh, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with this new, you know, announcement culture. What are you going to announce next? And therefore, I think we're all racing to get to that, to get to that next thing. And I'm, like I said, I'm guilty of doing it myself. But when you said that, I thought, yeah, we need to stop trying to compare the time of what we think is okay to be too old or too young or whatever, and just just go for it. Yeah, like so. Dan Sullivan, who's a good friend of mine, he and I write books together. He has a little book he calls "Wanting What You Want." Um, he can, he, he talks about the difference between wanting something and feeling like you need it. I think that this culture that you're talking about, uh, is where people feel like they need to get somewhere in order to be successful or in order. And, and the problem with that cycle is that it doesn't matter how far you go. You'll always need the next thing. It's almost like an unhealthy attachment to your future, which is a really, mm-hmm. uh, unhealthy approach. Whereas wanting what you want is really, and this connects with choosing your own future self is that we all choose for ourselves our own standards. In a lot of ways, your identity is the standard you hold for yourself. It's what you believe in about yourself and what you commit yourself to. That is what your identity is. And a lot of times our standards are just adopted by you know our culture, our friends, our family. Uh, and uh, but but you do ultimately choose for yourself the standards you have for yourself, whether that you know whatever those are. Um, and so it, it becomes really beautiful when you just start to say this is what i want this is what i'm going for like this is it's kind of funny by the way because we all have standards and and, and like as an example i was recently back in utah where i live and i was with my cousin my cousin lives at my dad's house and he's really big into world of warcraft he plays video games literally 18 hours a day but like he still has massive standards for himself his standards are just directed at that game like he's literally Mm. one of the top guys in the game and he's part of like these groups and he was telling me that he left this group that he's a part of. It's an online game. He said, because they just, honestly, they don't, they're not up to my standards. Like, I just want to be in a better group, right? And so it's like, we all have standards. We just apply them in different directions. He may be mm-hmm. applying it to video games. And one, one important part of all this is he's completely free to do so. That's his choice. He can want mm-hmm. what he wants. 
and my opinion of what he wants doesn't really matter. He's, you know, like I, and I'm not going to judge him. Like he gets to choose where he directs his focus, where he directs his standards and what, and how far he wants to take those. If his future self is that his character in the game is at a much higher level, he can choose that. And everyone gets to choose. And so I just like the idea of wanting what you want, but ultimately at the end of the day, it's on you to choose which, like what your standards are going to be for yourself. Like in order, in other words, where you want to apply those, like my Mm -hmm. financial advisor, for example, like he really wants a private jet and a yacht. And like, that's the standards he's going to start to hold for himself financially and stuff like that has nothing to do with me. Like I don't, those are not my standards financially. Um, But I do have my own, yours might be in your health. Mine might be as me as an author. Mine might be as myself as a parent. And so I think choosing what are the things you really care about? What are the things you really value? And how high of a standard are you going to go in those areas? You get to choose that. And then ultimately the key is then taking the goal that you have in that area and making it your standard. Because if it's, mm-hmm. if it's not a standard, then it's not your norm. And so you'll say, you'll say yes to a lot of things below the standard. But like once you make something a standard and it's a true standard, you got to start saying no to the stuff that's below yeah. that. So mm-hmm. I just think choosing for yourself the direction you're going to go and then how high you're going to hold yourself or how far you want to go in that direction is all your choice. Yeah. yeah and I love, yes, I love this one, what you want free from judgment from others, but from yourself. This is, yeah, this is honestly- and free from and free from needing to judge others for what they want. Yes. I mean, especially as a parent, that one rings true to me. Definitely. But I'm conscious of time. And I feel like, honestly, I have so many- We're just many... scraping the surface. Literally, I think we need, so... we need a deep, like a deep round two with like no time constraints or something. I don't know. I don't know how like your, how long your episodes usually go, but yeah. I you literally music to my ears because I still have so many things I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about worst case scenarioing and actually looking at the future and saying, okay, let's flip it around, preparing yourself for the worst case and then realizing, okay, it's not that bad. You could survive or, you know, thinking about hope, actually something I wrote down that I took out from the book was about how hope gives our future meaning. And there's so much there. So we're definitely going to have- Honestly, I agree with you. There's so many things I want to get into. Let's just schedule round two as fast as possible. But all the research on hope and just the specifics of hope, how to be a high hope person, what that does for your like ability to effectively change and grow as a person and have meaning. Like, yeah, there's so much. So yeah, we'll have to just go for round two. And hopefully, hopefully round one has been useful enough for the the listeners out there. Absolutely. It's been a fantastic start and you heard it here. So yes, listeners, do not worry. We are going to dive straight into another episode and we're going to find out all about the research around hope because that is something that I think we all need. So before we conclude, I have to ask you because it's the Power Hour podcast. You know what? We're going to save it for round two because that way we definitely have to get it recorded because I ask every single guest on the show to tell us about their power hour, the first hour of their day, what they do. You want me to tell you? I mean, I could tell you or we could save it. Well, if you promise you're going to come back, we'll save it. I'm coming back. (laughs) All right. Well, in that case, stay tuned, everyone, and we will loop back with a second episode and you'll find out exactly what Benjamin does in the first hour of his day, what he doesn't do, what he's strategic about and what he's intentional, intentionally including for his future self. This has been fantastic, so fascinating and I cannot wait to record part two. Thank you so much, Benjamin, for giving us your time today. Love it. 
Absolutely. And thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back soon. See ya. Wow, it is so good to be back. I absolutely loved that conversation with Ben. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And I can't wait to sit down with him to record part two very soon. We will share that as soon as possible. In the meantime, if you have any questions for me or Ben, then you can reach out on Twitter at Adrienne underscore LDN and on Instagram at Adrienne underscore LDN. Thanks for tuning in. Have an awesome week. The Power Hour is back. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.